This is the Speaker for the Living podcast, exploring the depths of human trafficking, forced labor, and all things related. Hello, welcome to another episode of Speaker for the Living. Today, uh, JJ Janflone and I, Seth Dare, are going to have an ode to our friend and colleague, Monica Peterson. So unfortunately, uh, Monica, who was a longtime friend and colleague at the Human Trafficking Center at the University of Denver, who Seth and I knew both personally and professionally, uh, passed away in Haiti this past week. So what we have done today is that we're going to be talking about some of the work that Monica left behind um, in kind of a tribute to her, largely because for at least in the capacity that we knew her, Monica's work was an essential part of her life. She was exceptionally clever, passionate, rigorous in her methodology, and dedicated to the idea of not only getting this piece out there, which is her senior thesis piece that she used uh, when pursuing her master's at the University of Denver, but also in kind of the the themes that her thesis put out, in particular this idea of dealing with the human trafficking field, and in particular sex trafficking, with a very particular feminist outlook. Right, and to clarify, uh, last week, as in November 13th, she passed away. Yeah, we knew her well, and it was really hard because she's the type of person that once you spend some time working with her for a day, you feel like you know her. Uh, I was affected by her presence and uh, by the fact that whenever I was part of a Q&A, she would give this long intro with all sorts of facts and details before asking her question. And she did it boldly. And so at this point, that's endearing and uh, memorable. Yeah, I, I, I apologize for both Seth and I because this is going to be, I mean, let's be real, this is going to be a weird podcast. This is, this is awkward. Um, we're both still kind of dealing with this idea that this person that we knew and that we respected so much is not around anymore um and just kind of everything that surrounds kind of the sudden death of a young person is is happening um i will say that i was always super jealous of monica both you know kind of in a professional capacity and then at an individual level because some of the stuff we talk about is really hard or awkward or it's not socially acceptable and I would be in these conversations or in these meetings and kind of flubbing around or walking around the topic, kind of testing the waters, and then Monica would just steamroll, like, right through the middle and, like, cut right to, like, oh, this is great, but we should be talking about, boom, and, like, it was like a bomb would go off in the room. And as as Claude pointed out, uh, Claude Destroy, the head of the Human Trafficking Center, in her in her eulogy he did at the moral service service the HTC held, it wasn't that Monica was a know-it-all, it was that Monica was a know-it-all who actually knew it all. When it came to her 
uh, area of expertise, which in particular were, were feminist perspectives on human trafficking, that girl had it on lock. She was an expert in it, and she wasn't while she was an extremely like humble and kind and caring person, she wasn't afraid to let her expertise be known. There wasn't like any mm-hmm. imposter syndrome there. <laughs> and so that's it's it's weird to think that there's not gonna be like an ethnography coming out from her or or something, you know, of that effect down the line. Right. And speaking of ethnography, maybe could you elaborate on what that means? Like the type of research that she did. Yeah, of course. So Monica So one of the things that Monica did is she was really into this idea, which sounds kind of crazy, but doesn't happen a lot in the human trafficking field, that people currently being trafficked or survivors of trafficking have a narrative and a discourse that's all their own, that is unique to them. And outside people, whether it's academics, policymakers, business owners, um, that kind of come in and do these sort of raid and rescue programs that what we do is we talk kind of over the voices of the people who have lived this experience. And in particular, one of the things that we, and that we, I mean, the field as a whole, tend to talk over is the realities of women who are involved in sex work, whether it be sex trafficking or exploitative sex work or sex work done with like full agency and dignity. So Monica's, one of her main research focuses was doing an ethnography, which basically is sitting down and recording the stories of people without importing your own biases or without trying to do anything to change or modify that situation. It's kind of truly being a speaker for the living. You're you're being the conduit through which people and generally marginalized groups can get their voices out. And so she was very big about the idea of creating ethnographies of women involved in prostitution, women involved in sex trafficking, And then also, to be more specific, women in those two groups who live and work in Haiti. Um, And I think, personally, because she took everything from the perspective of being, you know, very much an anthropologist or a sociologist, it's, I I think, had she been able to complete one, it would have been really good. It would have been really, really good. Right. And it might be helpful to elaborate on the difference between quantitative and qualitative research. Yeah. Do you want to go ahead uh, and take no, go that? Ahead. Your... Okay. So quantitative research, um, which gets called a lot just by quant, is numbers. So that's when you're breaking down statistics. You're dealing with how much do people get paid? Where do they live? That's kind of the bold facts of a situation that you could almost put into kind of a computer program. Whereas qualitative that's more of the human end of stuff. So that's the conversations with people, people reporting on situations. I like to think of it as the difference between if I wanted to study police shootings, the quant side of that would be me studying how many officer-involved shootings are there a year, what is the likelihood of who is hit, why do they claim it, and then the Qualitative stuff would be interviews with police officers, interviews with people who have been shot by police officers, that sort of kind of human element. And the idea is if you get a good balance of those two and you've done unbiased research and your methodology is clear, you can marry those two sides, qualitative and quantitative, together. And it gives you a kind of a fuller picture of, what, of whatever circumstance or situation you're studying. 
Right, and to put that into the context of the Human Trafficking Center, mm -hmm. where we spent two years with Monica, where she worked with Professor Destray, and uh, JJ and I were in leadership positions as well as research assistants, uh, working on the Human Trafficking Index, mm -hmm. doing papers and other research. Like we, we approach this with we want good data. We want to understand stand what people's stories actually are. We want to get samples that are representative so that if we're going to extrapolate them into a wider population, that we, we've had a system. We critique our own work. We critique, each, we critique the work of everyone in the field. We are really just pursuing mm -hmm. good, rigorous data even if that means we have to critique people we respect. Yeah. And there are people who have been critiqued like Kevin Bales, who we do highly respect. And, yeah, and consider like a friend even. And as an ac academic scholar, he appreciates the feedback because we all, all, we all want to do something about human trafficking yeah. and we need good data in order to do that. As such, we... We look at uh, different government changes and different administrations, and we can see good and bad things that were done in those administrations, especially with like the trafficking in persons office within the State Department. Mm -hmm. uh, the Bush administration got that going in 2000, and the Obama, under the Obama administration, there, there's been positive changes. There's also things that we could critique and that's generally the way it is with us is we're looking at what's going to help people on the ground and what legal tools are there. And we're going to do whatever type of research and critiquing we need to do in order to further that effort. One of the things that's going to be kind of weird about today and what we're talking about is that a large portion of Monica's paper, which we're going to talk about the meat of it in a second, uh, does contain a critique of Siddhartha Kara, who is a major figure in the field of human trafficking. Um, in particular, the book he did in 2009 called Sex Trafficking, Inside the Business of Modern Slavery. Um, and it's also sometimes listed as Inside the Business. Um, because of the way academic critiques typically work, is for those of you who are kind of unfamiliar with the field or how that works, what generally happens is this. Someone puts out a paper or a book or a study. It's published in a peer-reviewed journal. Then other people in the field will write kind of critiques of it in response. So things that they liked about it, things they didn't like about it, if they thought the paper didn't go far enough. And that kind of starts the ball rolling. And then generally what happens is the person who wrote that initial paper that spawned all of these critiques or concerns kind of does a clapback. They kind of do um, either in the form of it can be as something as, as tiny as a blog post or something big as like a whole new novel. That's them kind of taking all those critiques and criticisms and rolling them into their new study or saying, well, hey, what about this? Why not this? And then that new piece kind of starts the second ball rolling. So if you do any sort of like academic critique, you know that looking like even at human trafficking, Kevin Bale's first book 
sets off this domino effect that produces like 18 other seminal pieces of human trafficking kind of theory and research because it's all people looking at his initial study and saying, oh, well, you didn't talk about globalization enough or you didn't talk about this enough. The problem here is that Monica didn't have a chance to publish this in a peer-reviewed journal, and we're hoping that that is a problem that is rectified soon, but it would be kind of remiss of us to bring up her kind of specific critiques of Siddhartha Kara's work when, one, Kara hasn't had an opportunity to read this beginning piece, B, formulate a response yet, and then see the fact that it hasn't been put out in kind of that first peer-reviewed journal would be kind of stepping out of line. And the name of that paper uh, as of now, uh, what are we saving women from and what are we saving them to? Subtitled, GAD Analysis of the Business of Sex Trafficking. To clarify the title, what is GAD Analysis? So GAD Analysis is a gender and development framework. So what you're doing anytime something's called GAD is you're trying to break down global trafficking as it relates to women and also how the way that women are conceptualized as people then relates back into trafficking. So how laws are formulated around them, how policies are made. So one of the things that's really interesting and makes GAD a very complicated framework is that GAD is a feminist framework, but it doesn't just critique the social constructions of gender power relations, but it breaks down the interaction of social structures within gendered processes of development and poverty. So a a way to think about this within the human trafficking field is when we talk, as the field, talk about prostitution, there's a particular kind of image of a prostitute that people have. You know, whether it's a Julia Robertson, Pretty Woman, or it's someone from Law and Order. You know, it's a very specific image. That image is generally female. So a GAD framework first asks, well, why is that image female? The next thing a GAD framework asks is, well, how is the fact that it's a female body in whatever society it is? So whether it's a prostitute, you know, in China or a prostitute in Haiti, like how is the conception of the female body then impacting how we view her as a prostitute and then beyond that how is our conception of the female body also as a prostitute then enhancing how you know the law responds to her how policy uh, makers respond to her how her community views her so it's a very complex framework that involves kind of a lot of you really do have to be kind of a cultural anthropologist to really apply it because it's you're peeling back a very complicated onion But gender kind of sits there at the beginning. And also, while Monica's paper focuses on women in particular, it is important to note that like in a gender um, and development framework, you're also thinking about the idea of what masculinity is and manliness is and how how the idea of man, you know, all caps M-A-N, is performed. So it's a really kind of interesting feminist postmodern critique And one that's really difficult to do. So the fact that Monica basically wrote this, what, like 112-page creation that was not just Mm -hmm. a critique of Kara, but like a creation of theory for human trafficking that uses gender and development, 
at the stage in her academic career that she was. Like, this is, like, doctoral-type work. So I I just, hats, hats off to Monica, because this was a very, this was a very tough mountain to climb. Now, it can be hard to critique people in our field because we want to advance the, the cause of human trafficking, and we, we want to try to be nuanced and to respect that people like Kara have given recognition to nonprofit organizations, shelters. They have advanced the cause to eliminate human trafficking, but we also want to do it accurately and Part of that as being in the human trafficking community is to say if organizations are going to recognize CARA or others as having good data and we look at it and we don't think it's good data or Monica looks at it and examines it and other people that she talks to look at it and and question it, then we're not aiming to question the person so much as the methodology or the data so that we can deal with the problem in an accurate fashion and not cause more harm than good. There's that old kind of cliche of like we stand on the backs of giants. And so it's one of those things is that when you do have people, particularly people who have done work that is both like academic and public advocacy based like Cara's work, you know, that's kind of allowed for the field to continue. It's allowed for the field to grow. And the idea is that the larger the human trafficking field or the kind of advocate group or or the abolition group like the larger that that group grows the more people you have buying in to this idea that modern slavery needs to be eradicated the better off everyone is right so it can seem sometimes when we offer critiques like we're tearing down the giants upon which we stand would really what we're trying to do is just build on top of what they've already produced, kind of a clearer or better picture of what the realities of the world are. So I think maybe without then kind of any further ado, we're going to get into the meat of of Monica's paper. And whenever possible, I'm going to use, I have a few quotes from it. Um, so I'm going to use Monica's own words whenever humanly possible. Um, but for the sake of brevity, I am going to paraphrase quite quite a bit. But right right off the bat, I think... She sets it up beautifully with her abstract with just saying the following. Sex trafficking and trafficking in women has become an increasingly publicized topic over the last decade and a highly emotive one at that. At first glance, it appears to be a cause that could only solicit a united opposition against sexual exploitation. However, what is largely neglected by mainstream anti-trafficking responses is the complexity of interdependent global issues and highly politicized areas that are not so easily supported once sex trafficking is teased apart. And like, oh, wow. (laughs) That's... So those two sentences are basically like what I said before, like Monica coming into the room and like dropping a truth bomb and being like, deal with it, you know? Because she's 100% right. Sex trafficking, Seth and I have talked about this before, sex trafficking, even more than labor trafficking, tends to get people's attention. It tends to feel really like, I guess emotive is a good word for it. Like people get very emotional. People are very kind of, their soul is hurt by the idea of sex trafficking. It, it's, uh, 
the image kind of that pops up first when we talk about human trafficking. But when she brings in the next point, an opposition against sexual exploitation is that when we talk about sex trafficking, we have to then inherently talk about sex work too. And a lot of anti-trafficking organizations lump these two things together. They, they take all sex work as being exploitative or all sex work as being a trafficking situation. And they lump the women in all three categories all into one big category. And that's problematic. But it's a very hard knot to untangle. And Monica, in the very opening to her paper, is like, boom, here's a problem. We're going to solve it. And it's just, it's amazing. To me, I'm not trying to be kind of flippant about it because what she's talking about is a very serious thing. But for those of you who are listening to this who don't read a lot of the discourse in human trafficking, like this is so rare for someone to even mention this problem, let alone to put it in writing and kind of put their professional reputation on the line for it. So I am just, it's a very like, I'm not worthy from Wayne's World moment. It's a very, I'm doing, I'm on... We're recording so you don't see it, but I'm doing that. I'm bowing down. Then for her, the the next kind of thing that she takes over is how a narrow perspective on gender and culture and a kind of simplistic understanding of economic models further complicates the issue. So because Haiti was a place kind of near and dear to her heart, even though Monica doesn't talk about Haiti in this paper, I think that you can kind of apply what she's talking about to kind of systems that exist in Haiti. So what Monica's saying here with this idea of like narrow perspectives on gender and culture would be to try as a researcher for someone like me to land in Haiti and say, I'm going to study Haitian sex trafficking, but only apply the definitions of sex work and sex trafficking that like I know from the U.S., and at the same time, apply what I consider to be, you know, a fair wage or a fair way of doing business or a way of doing business is conducted. It would, it's basically like, don't take your home perspective, whether it's a Western or an Eastern, whatever your perspective is, plunk it down in country and in a situation and then be shocked, you know, when, when there are things that don't kind of match up. So it's basically just be aware of cultural norms in addition to the quantitative part of your study. She later on in the paper, um, and we'll talk about that in a second, she later on breaks down ways that you can actually take a, a non-normative gendered analysis of these situations and apply it with quantitative research. And that's what I think like overall is the is the best part of this paper. And the part that is so special for me is that She's not, so like the critique part aside, because um, we've talked already about why we're not going to kind of go into that, but the theory portion that she puts out is that it's a practical theory. This isn't, you know, some overarching thing where she's like, this is a realist discourse. Where, like, this is beyond an academic theory. This is a theory that she's saying that you need to apply to how you handle whatever action within the human tracking field you take. So whether you're an academic whether you're an advocate or whether you're someone on the ground like a social worker working within human trafficking fields, like this is a theory you can apply. And it's essentially the theory that realize that people are the result of a unique 
context and treat them as such, like with dignity. And I know that like saying it out loud, it sounds like it'd be crazy that people don't use that format, but like, man, most of the time they don't. <laughs> so this is, this is beautiful. And from the research side of things, she does address topics like methodology, which is how you go about doing the research and doing it in a systematic fashion that can be replicated so that you, other people can do it and see whether it's accurate research. And with the ethnographic research that she did, like normal academic research has to go through a process with uh, the IRB, which uh, stands for what? The IRB is the International Review Board. So normal academic research, if you're going to interview people, has to go through this process where they say, what are you doing? Yeah, are, are you, you doing respecting it? your are, human subjects? Are you being ethical? So the way you do this matters. And, and even if you're going to do interviews or you're going to take notes on people, qualitative research doesn't mean I'm going to go in and take notes on this topic and then tomorrow on a different topic or ask different interview questions if you're going to interview people, that there is a system, that there needs to be a process where this is what I'm going to do. And I've thought through asking these questions, and I've tried to make them culturally appropriate. I've tried to make them not leading. And so in the way that one does research is also part of Monica's concern. Mm-hmm. And of particular concern, I think, to Monica was this idea that women, particularly women in marginalized groups, so women in societies where they don't have an equal voice, women involved in sex work where they're stigmatized kind of from the the normative population, and then women who may be of a socioeconomic status um, that is either like in flux or where they're at risk. The idea that there are largely Western kind of forces coming in, largely male, interviewing them, taking what they need from these populations, and then leaving. And so it's this idea that the voice of the person in trafficking or who has been exited from trafficking or is involved in the communities that surround traffic populations, that their voice is valid and should be weighted just as much as an, you know, an academic voice or a researcher voice. One of the things that Monica actually ends her paper on is this idea that there has been a widespread miscommunication within the field of human trafficking. And most studies done have uh, lacked the academic rigor necessary to convey the multidimensionality of contemporary interdependent global crises. And what she was hoping to do with her thesis, and I don't feel like I'm overstepping because she she says this in her conclusion, what she was hoping was to create a platform to further explore more complex gender dynamics and structural power relations underpinning trafficking in women. And I think that that sentence in particular, underpinning trafficking in women, this idea that when we talk about human trafficking, Ultimately, what we're talking about is people. And people are not just one thing. People contain multitudes. And every situation surrounding a human is complex, is difficult, is messy. And that if you don't recognize kind of the inherent messiness of life in your studies, you're doing a disservice 
to this population that you're claiming you want to you want to save, right? Or this population that you're aiming ultimately, I think kind of what we talk about here in this podcast is to serve. This population that you're looking to assist, if you don't acknowledge that they might not look the way you expect them to or want them to, then you're not really an advocate. You're not really doing the hard work. You're saving I I you know, I don't want to make this terrible, but it's on my first ever day in my first ever human trafficking class, the professor said, you know, that if you if you want to see directly you making a difference in the world, like go dig wells. People need wells dug. It's it's a perfectly like wonderful occupation. Like go do that. But if you want to wrestle with some really complex things where the victims don't always look like you would expect them to, the perpetrators don't always look like you would expect them to, and the situations surrounding them are not easily resolved or explained or even, you know, painted as a picture, then, like, do human trafficking. And I think that's basically kind of the main point of this piece is that people are hard. And so our approach in dealing with people, we're talking about people, should be, like, equally complex. Like, we should try to explain all the little parts of this, like, the minutia of life. And... So really, like, while it's a, while Monica's paper is an academic piece, there is something kind of oddly, uh, I think, beautiful and wonderful in the way that she writes about this population that she kind of dedicated her life to. There is something, we touched it, but it's kind of, I think, like this fundamental idea of like what Grace is. It's this idea that she is acknowledging what's hard in our field and like offering the best solution she can to it so i really i really wish we had more from her i really really do but in terms of practical application she does end with this re-examination of gender and development and social structures at both global and local levels as these structures cannot be separated as a catalyst for transnational highly gendered practices of trafficking in women needs basically needs to be done and that popular assumptions and taken for granted ideas about sex trafficking are are key to moving forward in the field so i'm gonna end now with what monica ends her piece with which just as importantly a consciousness of our own selves or in our actions and the humility to learn and build as we go is key to a progressive future in anti-trafficking. So that's, I mean, that was Monica. So publishing the paper is something that uh, is being discussed. That is not something that JJ and I control. It, it is hoped to get this out there and uh, to add her scholarship to the discussion sooner than later. And then you can read everything she has to say about Kara and Gad and humanity. Yeah. And you know what? In the spirit of Monica, because, man, that girl could debate and fight, I, I encourage all of you, read it, write your own critiques, you know, take it for for what it is, because she she was not someone that basically couldn't handle the critique back, you know? So, um. I mean, she would have fought you on it, (laughs) 
<laughs> but it would have been a good fight to see. So we will we will try to make it known when it does eventually come out um, where you can read that and access it. And that is the end of our Ode to Monica episode on her paper and some of her work. We will talk to you again soon. All right. Bye, guys. This has been Speaker for the Living. For extended notes and sources, visit our website at speakerfortheliving.com.